so as we kind of go through, we're going to see how God deals, or he, at this point of the conversation, he's kind of dealing with how we are to deal with other believers, which kind of seems, what? How are we supposed to deal with other believers? Yeah, how we're supposed to deal with each other. Okay, if you've been in a family long enough, you know that's the term we use, you know, how to love each other. May sound nicer, but how to deal with each other. How the apostles now respond to what Jesus has been telling them through, through this last section, not just this one statement, but how they respond in, in kind. We've already seen last week how the Pharisees, at a point in the conversation, kind of interrupted when he was talking to his disciples and started to respond to things. And they were upset about, you know, when he started talking about money and things because they were a lover of money. And then we see at the end of this little section we're going through here, Jesus kind of closes up or kind of ends the conversation, and he really brings out, you know, what our heart should look like, what, what the heart of a servant is, and, and kind of what is our um, just or uh, proper service in that sense, you could say. And so Luke uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 1, it says, And then he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offense should come, but... Woe to him who through they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times returns to you saying, I repent, you should forgive him. And so this is kind of the first section we're going to look at on how to deal with each other as, as Jesus is sharing. So after the Pharisees interrupted and he kind of deals with that and, and goes into the reality of, um, I guess, kind of a picture of, as he's telling his disciples, hey, these earthly uh, your benefits, your possessions, and these things you should be investing in eternity. It's not about getting wealth and gaining and, and having this blessed life here and getting the stuff. And the disciples get, or the Pharisees get upset and freak out a little about that. And so he goes, boom. He he truthfully lays down a very heavy truth, saying, "Hey, this direction. There was a rich man that uses Lazarus, and look at where they end. Look at eternity. They talk about a warning." based on how you live this life and the, the, the gravity of eternity, that both these men are still alive, if you would, breathing forever in eternity and locked into the choices they had made in this world. And so then he gets back and starts talking to them, and he says to his disciples, so now he's referring back to the disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to him through, through whom they do come. And so offense, and this, this word um, um, is kind of interesting. It's called, because we use the word very readily in our culture too. I mean, we're very easily offended at all kinds of things, you know. Um, but this word is scandalon in the Greek, scandalon. We get the word scandalous situation, right? And, and this word scandalon, what it actually is, is if you set up a trap to catch an animal, okay, the snare, the piece that actually catches the animal, the stick, the trigger, is called the scandalon. 
And so if you think of a bear trap, you know, the two metal things that grab the leg, that would be considered the part what's called the scandalon. It's the part that's gonna hold on to you and not let you go. You know, in many cases, it was, you know, you'd literally simply have a big rock with a stick, since you have a readily available rocks in Israel, and you'd have a stick with a bait on it. When it grabbed that bait, it broke the stick and that rock, that scandalon, bam! So it's a big stone caused to stumble you, harm you, and take you out. So this offense, this scandal on the stone, and so you'll, you'll hear a stumbling block is a, another translation in, the, in more than NIV, this, this thought of something that's going to get in your path and cause you to stumble and, and trip you up. So offenses, they're going to come. He says it, it, this trap, this snare is going to come. They're, they're going to be these traps. It doesn't mean you're going to fall at them. You know, as many times in Scripture you can see Satan says, hey, he sets up a trap, he sets up a snare, God protects us through him, you know, beware of him. But we are going to cause, there are going to be people that in your life are going to cause stumbling blocks. You're going along, life's fine, and somebody sticks out their foot in front of you, kind of. (laughs) You know, and you've got to be aware, it's going to happen. It's not some, this might happen, or it could happen. This will happen. So, Brothers and sisters in the Lord, you guys are going to offend each other. What's going to happen? I know some of you guys are totally like, really? No. It's going to happen. And if you're in the fellow and if you're around anybody long enough, it happens. So how do we do with that? What's our proper response? You know, how, how do we be ready for this? You know, and, and a stumbling stone, those things are going to happen. And, and what happens is your response is always up to you. You know what I mean? If I smack you in the hand with a hammer, can that be a stumbling stone for you for sin? Yes, you can be thinking about revenge. You can be thinking about anger. I mean, think of the verse, what does it say? Don't let any corrupt thing proceed from your mouth. I smack you with a hammer. How well are you going to do with that? Uh, you're right. Oh, ouchie, that hurt. I appreciate if you wouldn't do that again. I mean, we can cause problems. Things happen, you know. And if it was intentional or not intentional... That's to be decided. But you, you see these things. As believers, we can cause things. And in and a second you're married, you realize this. There's many issues that come that you could get so easily offended for and upset. And how do you respond? Are you going to be loving and long-suffering and patient with that person? How are we to, how are we to respond? Um, we... We, so many times we look at this, and what's amazing is we don't just get surprised by it, right? We let it surprise us. Like, I can't believe, finish that sentence, this person did this to me. He's a pastor. He cut me off. That's it. I'm out of that church. I'm putting it on Facebook. I mean, you, you, you see these things, right? We, we get so easily upset and so easily offended. And, and now, especially in our culture, they, they've even taken that to an extreme to where don't, if you somehow impede on my happiness by your existence, the color, whatever, it doesn't matter. I mean, you, you know, I saw you with a Bible in your hand. Therefore, you've offended me. I mean, it, it, it goes to an extreme in our culture, but amongst us, there, there's things that, that are going to happen, and we shouldn't be surprised of it. 
you know, I always kind of chuckle at how sometimes we get acting. You know, people go, you know, oh, Miley Cyrus, and she's Hannah Montana, all this. I can't believe what she became into. She was a role model for kids. And you're like, she's a sinner. She's not, don't profess. What would you think? What do you mean you can't believe what's happened? If she wasn't doing those things, I would be surprised. That would be harder to believe. You know, if you can't, oh, you know, Hannah Montana became a nun, you guys would all be surprised. You should be surprised. But with what's happened and the direction, her, you know, these people's lives go, why are you surprised? You know? And so to slow down and look at things and realize, okay, so there's going to be offenses. So you know what that means, right? That means we got to make sure everybody else knows exactly what they did and we got to enforce the law and we got we got to get together as believers and pass laws so that people can't offend us. If you offend me, we got to pass laws. We got to make sure everybody else we got to try to limit this offending is down as much as possible, right? So okay, you can't this and we got to we're going to go just all kinds of rules so we're you know and we'll 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 make sure everything's happy maybe we'll take some polls on what offends who in here and no that's not his answer look with me in verse two and how he says we're supposed to deal with this he says in verse two it says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones so he's really saying hey it's going to happen, and woe to that person it's going to happen, and this would be the better thing to happen. Well, guess what? If it's going to happen amongst you, you're going to be somebody who offends somebody at some point. The, I'm, he's not giving a consequence so we can go take people out, tie millstones on their neck, and throw them in, you know, Knight's Ferry, because there's a millstone close there. If you go up there, they got the old millstone, you, you know. At least there's water in a millstone. But, you, you know, there... That isn't what, you know, you notice no, nowhere through church history this was practiced. And the reason was, it says it would be better than what? We're not told. It's a woe. But a woe to him who comes. There's something that's going to be worse that comes to the person that offends. This should be a warning to us, instead of worrying about who's offending us, of how we are treating and acting towards other people. And so... You see, okay, we should, this offense is going to happen, and instead of focusing on what everybody's doing to me, I better slow down and watch what I'm doing, be cautious of where I'm walking. And the first thing is, you can go crazy with that, right? How do you, number one, be loving, caring towards other people, try not to be offensive, but love and truth? How do you find that balance? Oh, pray, seek God, and be full of the Holy Spirit. That's really what it comes down to. If you try to do those things in your own strength, you're going to go insane. It's impossible. But this, this, here we have this huge this consequence. You know, and when it talks about better to be, have this huge stone, which was this millstone, it really meant um, they, they had little grinding stones. This is something that an animal pulls. So if you have a donkey on one side, a center post, and a beam going across to a huge stone to crush grain, they're talking about it's better if you're drowned with that than causing someone to fall. And especially one of these little ones, meaning not a child in this case, a believer, a young believer. It's better that that would be happen. And You know, one of the things growing up, I was raised in the church and I didn't have much problem with sin because my sin affected me. There wasn't a lot of external consequences. You know, some of you, you younger kids in here might have that opinion. It does affect your parents, by the way, now that I'm a parent. But 
you know, you think, okay, if I mess up here and this and that, it's no big deal. The second I got married, now my sin, if I mess up, it now affects my wife. Now it affects my kids, and I cause them to stumble, and I'm responsible to lead them. That's where my relationship honestly got more serious because the effect and the cost of it wasn't worth it. And, and many times you can sit down, and I'm not going to name certain times, but there's things in my life where, yeah, it would have been better. I would have preferred to be drowned than to see the harm and damage I caused by my sin, by my choice, being somebody and causing stumble. And so when you think of that and you look at that aspect and that warning and to watch our lives, the balance becomes and the real practical aspect of this these days are all their things. If you know your brother has a problem with alcohol, do you take him out drinking, drink beer? And fr- no, why would you want to cause that person to stumble? Why would you want to send them down that road? You know, and it, this is where it really comes down to your relationship and not just saying, hey, this is sin or that sin or this thing's sin, but what has God called you to do in the place he's placed you in? Some churches, they allow, you know, pastor drinks and stuff like that. Me, personally, not to say this is you or your house, but my house, we don't. The reason, number one, my, my wife had a, a, a dad who, who drank a lot. She didn't like the smell of it. I never had drank and didn't necessarily had the thought of it. But even having a little wine or something or even cooking wine sometimes in our house was like even certain movies and things. When you're teaching youth, young kids that are impressionable, no, I don't want to have those things there. I might be fine watching that movie, but if your 12-year-old isn't, I don't want to be talking about it in youth with your 12 and cause a 12 You know, I'm going to I don't want to be cautious with these things, you know? And the different people we've had in our house, yeah, there's things we make sure there's safety and there's all kinds of things. What, what can I do? You know, and it comes to that, that point. And so really, you know, it's not, that's the thing is the Bible isn't a list of rules. It, it isn't black and white in that sense, but the Holy Spirit in your life is black and white. When God tells you, hey, don't do that, that's wrong. You know, you think about, okay, if you're sitting there and your heart is to care for somebody else, another brother in Christ, and you're saying, God, I don't want to be a stumbling block, he's going to tell you what, maybe you shouldn't say that, maybe you shouldn't do this, maybe you shouldn't, you know, sometimes it don't even make sense, why shouldn't I help, you know? And sometimes you can have really good intentions and be a big stumbling block. Oh, man, I just really want to help him out. I'm going to give him some money to help him out. I can be a big stumbling block, you know. Prayer, seeking those things, and having that intimate relationship and truthfully love. God, how can I love this other person in that way? And that's how we should be treating each other and, and taking it serious. Yeah, offenses are going to come. We're going to offend each other. Don't be surprised when it happens. Be as gracious as you'd like people to be. You know, when I cut somebody off in traffic, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it was just a little in this. When they cut me off, it's like, we won't go there. No. Yeah. <laughs> There's things, right? It's like, we're the, we, you know, we, we love people being gracious and, you know, patient with us. But when it goes the other way, it's like, no. I mean, who gave you your driver's license? We used to joke around. I'm sure it's not a thing anymore. You know, did you get it out of a Cracker Jack box? You know, I don't know if they actually had them. They used to have toys, probably better toys when they were older than my age. But, you know, we just got the little fake tattoos and stuff like that. Nothing good. But, you know. And so, you know, our heart in the situation, we should be examining ourselves instead of examining everybody else and how are they offending us. That shouldn't be our focus. And then the last part of this here is our response to offense. So 
offenses are going to happen. We should be focused on ourselves, And then when it happens, this is our response. Verse 3, it says, take heed to yourself. Take warning to yourself. If a brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And so I think a key qualifier here in many situations, if he sins against you, you know, it's important. And when he sins against you, you are to rebuke him. Now, there's a balance to that where you go around rebuking everybody. Oh, I saw somebody post something on Facebook and they sinned. So I'm going to blast them on Facebook and let everybody know they're a sinner. You know, you need to repent in front of everybody. I don't send them a private message. We're doing this doing all out front. Because you know, if Jesus was around today and he had Facebook, that's how he would have dealt with his disciples. He would have gone on, hey, Peter. You know, no. He didn't blast them. I mean, you think of that. Jesus is walking. He knows the sinful thoughts they're thinking. If he was going to correct every offense they had, that's all we would have for three and a half years is him just solid. Not that he never corrected his disciples, but that's all we would have in the gospel. He would have had no time to do anything else but just to be correcting those 12 apostles. And so we look at this and go, okay, there's an offense, and if that person offends me, but it's also wrong if that person offends me and you don't confront it. Well, I don't want to cause problems. I'm just going to be nice. That's unloving. If somebody is doing something that's harming you or causes hurt, and you sit there and go, oh, I just, I'm going to, you know, I'm a peacemaker. I've seen this in marriage. You want to see a tyrant in marriage? Usually the other person on the other side thinks they're being nice and I'm just putting up with them and they don't confront them on the issue. So now this one individual is a tyrant and he doesn't even know he's a tyrant. He thinks this is the way they should act. Nobody's ever called him out on it. You know? And there's so situations, well, speak up. The last thing I would hate for my wife is, hey, you know, for the last 20 years of our marriage, this has really offended me and I just, you know... I was trying to be loving and didn't tell you. That would break my heart. Going, wait a minute. I did this all this time and you didn't tell. Why didn't you tell me? That means you don't, number one, care about me. Or, I mean, why would you allow this? Well, you know, I just, you know, figured I'd tell you enough things. No. But there's, you know, that heart. Being open with each other. And this word rebuke seems harsh, right? Oh, rebuke. You know, I rebuke you in the name. And, and you can get this whole picture, you know, of what that word. It, it's not even that complicated in that sense, or even look as, as long as that. You know, Jesus says that we're supposed to be long-suffering in Ephesians, right? When you look at doing things in love, being long-suffering. If we did a whole study on how to approach a, a brother in Christ that's struggling and, and, and being long-suffering, and, and, um, but in short, it is being concerned with them. Really taking the time and being caring and concerned about their heart and where they're going and their safety. If you have the heart where you're concerned for them, a love for them, then you have the ability to rebuke them correctly because you're not wishing them harm. You're not wishing to put them down. You're not wishing to destroy them. You're, you're hoping, hey, this, this thing that is dangerous can, can be better. You know, it's long-suffering. You know, uh, Matthew talks about, hey, you know, when you have to go to a brother, go alone. Don't, at first, don't take a crowd with you, you know. Um, you know, when something, somebody wrongs us, what do we like to do? We like to get a jury on our side, you know. Let me, let me tell everybody my side so we can come to you. So we got this popular opinion poll. We all become politicians at that point, you know. Let's do a vote on who's with me and who's with. And then we can decide. And then, then the kids get all mad because they're in the middle of it. No. But you, you, 
No, we don't do that. But you look at that, go to them alone. You know, one of the things, what happens is when somebody's acting up in our house, we correct them alone. And people go, well, you always seem to correct me and not them. Well, good, guess what? You're not going to see us correcting them. I don't want to, if at all possible, we try to deal with those things separate and set apart because it's loving towards them. It gives them an opportunity to be willing to repent. You know what I mean? You call somebody out in a crowd, it doesn't matter what it is. Most of the time they won't just because of crowd and pride in those issues. And so if your heart is for restoration in those things, you rebuke him. And again, I was, I was trying to think of a, a, a simple example. So imagine, okay, with work, because I work roofing and whatnot, if we're out somewhere and we come back from lunch or whatever and the guy goes, man, did you see that girl? She was dressed in such a little skimpy thing. And I just say, you know what? I prefer not to talk about that. You know, if I start looking at those things and talking those things, it puts thoughts in my mind that's not good for my marriage, that isn't healthy. You know, let's, you know, so that's, yeah, you know, I try to stay away from even noticing those things, you know, because those things can cause problems in your life. Was that a rebuke? that seem like a rebuke from the word? No, that was loving. This is honest. This is what I struggle with. I mean, I've, you know, I, I try to, you know, simple as that. You know, it's just, hey, and you can put whatever. I struggle with this or that. I mean, it might, you know, cars, whatever, you know. And, and you slow down and you look at those things. Yeah, that, that you know, that, you know, that's the, I don't want to talk about that situation. I don't want to, you know, let's just redirect this. Hey, brother, I noticed you're, you're, you were thinking about doing this or you're talking about doing this, hey, man, that, you know, the Bible says that, that can end really bad. Let's look at that, you know. That, that might be something dangerous. I wouldn't want you to get hurt. I mean, slow down and we look at those things. And that's, that's a loving rebuke, you know. And it's kind of interesting. Um, I've seen this portion of Scripture and that says, you know, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. People go, well, see, if they don't repent, you don't have to forgive somebody by Scripture. And, and so look with me. If, if you look at verse 4 here, tell me if Jesus is trying to take this, this concept of forgiveness, and we're trying to put um, qualifications on it and making it a narrow thing, or if he's just blowing it wide open. Okay? Because the next verse, verse 4, and it says, And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times a day returns to you and says, I repent, you should forgive him. Does that sound like Jesus is trying to narrow it down? So, But if he didn't ask for repentance, you're done. No, because you know why Jesus used seven times here? Because I don't care if you're trying to be the most loving person, you're gullible, you're thick-headed. By the sixth time, you know the person, you're thinking, there's no way this person's sincere, right? By at least the sixth time, we've all gotten it that this person's lying to me. They are not repenting. I mean, right? That's the reason I think he used seven times, just because at that point, who would trust that this person saying, I'm sorry, you'd be like, yeah, right, show me actions. I mean, you know, none of us would be sitting there taking a slap on the cheek seven times in a row and saying, oh, no, you forgive me, okay, there. And he's not saying, hey, put out your cheek every time. There's a difference, big difference between forgiveness and restoration. Even if somebody wrongs you, they don't ask for forgiveness, you should forgive them doesn't mean that relationship is ever restored. doesn't mean it can go back. Jesus forgives us even though we don't have a relationship, even though there isn't reconciliation in this situation. But when you look at it and you see it, you see, I see God making it broader. This is a hard concept. You'll, you'll see the disciples respond, hey, increase our faith. This is a hard thing to do. And the main thing with this is what I believe he's really saying in his if I come to you and say, I'm sorry, what's your first thought? 
when you're still heated at least. Yeah, right. Right? How many times do your kids tell you, I'm sorry, and you know they're not? Right? You're like, you're just saying this so I don't spank you, and you know, when you get your phone back or whatever privilege, right? There isn't a yeah, real repentance here. You're not going to change. And the word repentance means literally to turn from. So, you know, this, this guy's playing ring around the rosy here or something, you know, if he, he's coming back to you six times, you know, I repent, I'm going this way, I'm back, I'm repent. I'm... There, there's got to be a change of direction, a change of heart, but at the same time, that's not for us to judge. That, that you're forgiving somebody isn't going, well, God, they asked for repentance, I don't know if I should, really should. Give me, Lord, help me to understand if they really are repenting or not, if I should really forgive them this time or not. Now, there are consequences to sin. Okay. Different men have come in our house over the years, or men and women come in our house over the years. Okay, you do this, you do this, you break these rules. These consequences come. You know, you went out and you chose to do these things. Now, guess what? Okay, so now you can't have a phone, you can't have money for a period of time until we can trust you. Well, I'm repenting of, I'm sorry, yes. But these are, and we forgive you, and you can be here. But we're going to do these things to safeguard you and us, frankly, you know. We're going to make sure you're not coming back drug, you know, if you don't have money, you don't have these things. It's just simple things. And they're loving things. You know, it's not to make them feel bad. It's not to punish them. It's for their own safety. And that's their thing. So there's, there is a balance of that relationship. And so if somebody wrongs you, forgive them. If somebody wrongs you, forgive them. Doesn't mean you go and intentionally put yourself in a place of harm. You know, if you invite somebody in your house and they rob you, and then they come back the next day and repent, you don't have to let them back into your house to rob you. Pray about maybe calling the cops and they can deal with their <laughs> consequences of those things. But you can forgive them, you know, but the, the cost of sin is still there. And so, but it's not up to us to judge their heart on where they're repentive. And sometimes when you've really been wrong, this is really hard to do. It's, it's kind of a... a, a a rough situation. It's really hard because there's, there's times when someone wrongs you. You have, you're 99% sure they're the ones that have done it. Or you might know they've done it based on what other people's told you. You know, you have a good idea that person's wronged you. And you've forgiven them. You've decided, okay, I'm going to forgive them. Okay, and when that's happened, and if, if there isn't an opportunity for that person to ever come to you, or that person never comes to you and asks for repentance, even though you've forgiven them, what happens? You know what happens? That relationship still falls apart. There was a situation where somebody had stolen some things from us, and I'm pretty sure we know who it was. It was pretty obvious in our, our mind. He doesn't know he did. We know. They haven't had an opportunity. You know why I haven't had an opportunity? He has avoided us ever since. And so this brother, this friend, the things that are gone are gone. Choices made, there, there's no recovery, no matter how dear they were or not. But at the same time, because there is, even though he is forgiven, because he hasn't come to us, there isn't repentance, there isn't no rest restoration. When the Bible says, hey, if somebody wrongs you, go to him, you know, confront him on it, there can be restoration. You will gain your brother. You know what I mean? It's like loaning people money. 
You want to get rid of somebody? Loan them some money, right? <laughs> it's the easiest way. To, somebody's bugging you here. Have $100, pay me back in a week, and you'll never see them again. You know, why? Because if they don't pay you back, then there's this, oh, man, I can't, and this and this. And, you know, we, we've ran into that with family and stuff. It's like, I want to loan you this, but I'm not loaning it. I mean, if you can repay, awesome. But this, is, this isn't, I don't want to lose a brother over this. I don't want to lose our relationship with it. That, 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 this has no value compared to that. And so even then, forgive, you know, being forgiving, forgiving people even though, and then being willing to, to confront. And sometimes, you know, in this one situation we have, I don't, if, if he came and said something, I'd be able to forgive him. If not, I don't have enough firsthand knowledge to say, hey, it was him for sure. And so, you know, if he doesn't ever, then it doesn't happen, but the friendship's gone. You know, and so you kind of look at these things and, and you judge. But other times, I've, yeah, I've been robbed. The person's came and said, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I did this. I wasn't knowing. And guess what? We're great. I have a brother in Christ. I have a son. I have a, you know what I mean? And, and that relationship continues. How sad it would be to have something so lame sometimes destroy that. And that even if you've wronged somebody, take the time to go back and say, hey, be repentive. Maybe you're the other guy in this and you've, you know, and you feel like an idiot because you're the guy that's come seven times and said, oh, I'm sorry. Well, God's working in my life. I know I've said I'm sorry a hundred times and you're not going to believe me, but hopefully years down the road of God working in my life, you'll see that it's real, you know. And so it's interesting as we look at this, and that, this is kind of that first section. This is ending that conversation, if you would. And, and we kind of see the second section that we move into. And it's now the apostles' response to what Jesus has been saying. Right? They say, the apostles said to the Lord, in verse 5 it says, The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. So the apostles, so at first we have, he's speaking to everybody, the whosoever's come, I'm here, the, the wedding feast is open in chapter 14 of Luke, you know, this is the cost of discipleship, follow, t- forsake everything, follow me, right? And then he, and then he goes, this is the mission, we're, we're, we're for the lost, we're looking for the lost sheep, this is the heart, this is what we're about, you know, perspective on your finances, your possessions, we should be investing in heaven, not earthly things. Boom, gets interrupted at that point by the Pharisees because they were lovers of money, right? The real warning about the weight of this life on eternity forever and how real that is, right? And then he says, hey, be watchful that you don't cause people to sin, that you don't stumble people, and then be forgiving towards each other. Be willing to forgive. And at this, in light of this, in light of the context of the scriptures, the apostles now, the 12, respond and say, their response to Jesus is, increase our faith. Right? At that point, it's like, whoa. And maybe this was the last pen. It could be, you know. Some of you guys in here would be like, yeah, I'm totally fine serving the Lord, reading the Bible and stuff. But loving other Christians, that's it. You're like, the disciples, increase our faith, Lord. No. But I don't think it's just that one portion when you look at the whole conversation, and, and this is the way sometimes you got to look at this. Now we've been probably going through this five or six weeks, right? Could you imagine if me and my wife were having a conversation about anything, but say even a, a discussion, and I say, hold on one minute. We'll start this next Sunday. And then the next Sunday she talks a little, and I say, okay, hold on one. And that's basically what we've done with this conversation. So when you look back of it in light of it, I truly believe when they're sitting there saying, increase our faith, this is heavy following you, forsaking everything, you know, 
this mission. There's a lot here. We don't know if we have enough faith to do what you guys, God, you're calling us to do. And Jesus' response to this is very simplistic. You know, I, I love, you know, if you said increase your faith, what would you guys have to do to increase your faith? Well, guys, you need to be reading your Bible six hours a day. You should probably go to a seminary. I mean, all these thoughts come to mind, right? Of what you would have to do to increase your faith. You know, maybe there's, you know, maybe you need to go on a mission trip or, you know, just, you know, I'd pray more, you know. Those things. And then there's the other thought is if you scare, you know, you prayed, you know, what does it say? If you pray for patience, expect to wait. What if you pray for more faith? Ooh, right? Like, oh, by the way, you prayed for more faith. Now you have cancer. Trust God with that. No. I mean, it kind of is our thought process. But I love the way the Lord responds here in verse 6. He says, so the Lord said, if you, having faith, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And so a mulberry tree at the time, the thought of, of that area or that region is they had very deep roots. And then you got this little mustard seed, something they knew that was very small. And it, it's not that their faith needed to increase in and of themselves. See, faith is important, it's based on what it's based in, Right? It doesn't matter how much faith I have in something. It can actually be misplaced faith, right? Misplaced trust, if you would, in something. Uh, Dave Gusick used, used the illustration, which he probably stole from somebody else, right? When it comes to faith, it's better to have little faith and thick ice than a lot of faith and thin ice, Right? What your faith is based on is way more important than how much faith you've had in it. If you don't believe me, look on YouTube. There are all kinds of people that got themselves into very bad situations having faith in things they shouldn't have. You know, having faith in their ability to deal with fire, uh, pain, gravity. I mean, all these things they shouldn't have had faith in. We have our faith in Jesus Christ, right? And it, it's, you don't have to have much. It's because of what it's based in. Right? When you sit here and you look at this Christian life and we're supposed to live this and we're supposed to be loving and how can we do this, it's because He is faithful. It's not us. And what amazes me is that simple mustard seed of faith, I've seen it in so many ways, in such little, simple things. In such little, simple things. The sinner on the cross saying, you are the Lord. What acts of faith did that man do but die? Many times I've sat there and I've had people and you're sharing the gospel with them. They're going through something. And if you're willing just to ask, well, I don't want to really do that. Then ask God to change your heart. God, if you're willing to change my heart, that's it. I mean, this person doesn't want to change their heart. They prefer to go back and do this. I like my sinful life and this. I know it sucks. I know the results of it. I know I need a Savior. But my heart loves these things. I don't know if I could ever end it. Then just ask God to change your heart. A little mustard seed. And you see that begin to work in their life. It begins to grow. And God's faithful to that little just confession of God changed my heart. Sometimes it grows quickly. And sometimes it seems to take a long time. But it grows. It's like, you know, um, 
you know, one man who was with us at one point when he was struggling, he goes, man, I took the wrong pill. Like on the Matrix, you know, they offer you two pills. Here's the reality of what the situation you live in, and, and here you can just go back to your regular life. He's like, man, I, I realize there's a God. I took the wrong. There's no going back. I don't even enjoy sin anymore. I'm the, you know, it just sucks. Why? Because that little mustard seed of faith going, I'll trust God, and God just reveals it. There's no going back. And that's where it is. The faith we have and the faith we have in is amazing. What baffles me when you read through this and you're studying it, could you imagine if I was up here preaching, man, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would never have cancer. If you had enough faith, you would have money. You, you could just have faith and the cancer would be thrown into the sea. And if you had enough money, you'd be thrown into your bank account. Prosperity doctrine doesn't seem to fit in this, huh? And they use that verse all the time, Right? And even when we go on here, it just seems crazy. What if I said, okay, and got up here and pounded the pulpit, you know, and, you know, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could forsake everybody in your life and serve the Lord. You could have a heart for the lost. You could use everything you have and invest it into eternity for the glory of God. And you could forgive your brothers in Christ. Amen. I mean, that's what it really takes, all right? Ooh, if you guys were you know, really spiritual and had a mustard feed, these are what the things God will do. And um, it's interesting. I was talking with a, a guy from Uganda yesterday, a, um, a pastor that serves at uh, San Jose, was, had him coming. He was in California visiting from Uganda. The, he's on the actual northern shore of uh, Lake Victoria and talking to him. And, and you kind of ask, well, what do you see your concerns about America and the American church, is there something that stands out to you? And goes, they're really concerned about our politics, which was surprising. Right? You know, how much in Uganda, you're in middle Africa, why does it affect you? The fact that our president is willing to quote a scripture is huge. Willing to acknowledge the Bible is huge. You know why? Because all the people there that are against it are held back by the simple fact of if we attack Christians, we're going to make America bad and they'll come get us. Simple as that. If the President of the United States doesn't seem to care anything about God, it puts them a target on them. It leaves them open season. The only thing holding back many times evil is the President of our country. Wow. You know, and so they're very concerned about those things. And I was talking to him about the church. He goes, I, you know, loves many things, but how unengaged we are. He goes, more people are so concerned in my country about your guys' politics than anybody's here. I, I talk to people, I know more about what's going in and you're on and your government and laws being passed than you guys do. Because it just surprises me that this isn't that big of a deal to you guys, you know? It's kind of interesting. And then as we're talking, you know, he goes, one of the problems that face their church, and we were talking just about how so many of the things in the Bible, men are still men in any culture. Sin is still sin in any culture. Human nature. The hardest problem they have about ministry and men going into ministry there is it's a good job. If you become a pastor, you can go to the United States, you can raise money, you can get people to give you all kinds of money. It is the life. You don't become to a pastor to serve. No, man, that is the best way. If you're coming out of a situation, you can get into some kind of school where they're going to call you a pastor and you can raise support from America 
you're there and he goes, the hardest thing is to tell these young men, no, when you come to the city, don't come here and expect people to give you money and try to, you know, find a, a place and all this and, and get support. Bring support, bring food. He's talking about you need to learn how to grow food, store food, and bring food from your village to support yourself when you're in school for these things. Don't rely on America and this. You need to, you know, you need to work for your own wages. You need to trust God with those things. It's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, sadly, so many people here think the same thing, right? You get a big church, you get a big this, you get a big that, and you get a, you know what I mean? And, you know, just kind of interesting perspective on that, right? You know, wow. So you want us to send you support? No. <laughs> but, you know, you sit there and you go, that's just it, it, reality, right? Reality of it. And the reality is, is where is it coming from? Well, really pray about who you support in the mission field, right? The biggest growing church, the biggest doctrine, the biggest heresy he has to deal with there is the name it and claim it. You have one of the poorest people in the world, and prosperity doctrine runs rampant. Runs rampant. If you just had enough faith, you could this, you could that. If you had enough faith, God would take you to America. You know? And then I sit here and I look at our generation and go, so what do you think is the biggest problem with the church in America? So you can go back and tell the biggest problem with the church in America is our prosperity. It keeps us from the God. We were fat and happy. We don't consider heavenly things. We're not serious about our relationship with God because we don't have to rely on him. We can be so self-reliant. The very thing they long for is the very thing that is our hindrance to most believers. You know, I said we're the, we're the nation that searches after the, you know, we're like the cat that follows the little laser light. See, and I can use that example even in Uganda. He knows what I'm talking about. You know, we're occupied by all the shiny stuff and we'll run right off a cliff following it without ever considering God. And so it's interesting as we look at the scripture and we go through these things and you look at the faith and how God just simply brings it out as it's just a little, you don't, I mean, they go, man, increase our faith. I mean, you sit there, they're overwhelmed, you know. And they're looking at this task, and, and they're, they're going, man, we need more faith. And Jesus' loving response is, you think you need more, and I'm telling you, you need very little. Very little faith. And then the third part of this, as Jesus closes kind of this subject up, and, and we'll be moving on next week as he, he moves into a different situation, in verse 7 it says, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending the sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once, sit down and eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for myself, and gird yourself, and serve me until I have eaten and drinking, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. And so in this world, a, a servant, you know, somebody being indentured, oh, a debt, you'll go out, you're working hard in the field all day, tending the sheep, taking care of everything. You come home to the master's house. The master doesn't sit you down and make you dinner. He sits down and you still serve him until he is done, then you eat. And you so... This picture, you know, of here, this, this is there. And, and I know some of you guys, you know, you're in jobs and think, man, my boss never thanks me enough and this and that. Well, take this to with you next time there. You know, your job is to serve. That's why you're here, you know. And um, 
it, it's interesting as generations change, you know, you know, you get, you get kind of this attitude like, hey, I showed up for work today. Don't I get a bonus? Yeah, it's called a paycheck at the end of the week. Well, but no, don't, aren't you going to thank me and reward me? Because I actually made it here on time. I mean, <laughs> how about I don't fire you? I mean, there's, there's definitely a generation change here, right? And, and sadly, nowadays, you know, with as busy things are, sometimes you are happy just somebody showed up for work, you know? <laughs> thank you, don't leave. But that's not why you're there. You're there to work and get a paycheck. You know, at the end, bottom of your paycheck, it says thank you, usually in dollar amounts. You know, that's why you're there. You're, you know, that's your purpose. As a servant, that's your purpose. And here, God brings this example out. Man, but wait a minute. Doesn't that not sound like prosperity doctrine? Wait a minute. If I'm serving God and this and this and this, wait, let's, let's see where the prosperity doctrine fits into this. Enough faith and all that. It doesn't seem to be lining up anywhere. It's not even the thank you doctrine, actually, thinking about it, right? You know, if you serve God and you have enough faith, he's going to thank you at the end of the day. I don't even see that. Verse 10, it says, So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants and we have done what is our duty to do. So here, after he breaks down this calling, this life, and all these things, and I'm sure his disciples are in a little shock. They were thinking, what, we're going to go rule and reign with you in Jerusalem. We're going to get a take what these Pharisees have, and it's going to be ours. And now he drops another bomb. Hey, we need to be using these things for eternity. Okay, so we're not going to have a lot of money. And then he backs it up and goes even to this thing and goes, hey, you're not even going to get a thank you. What you're doing, how you're serving at the end of the day as a believer, is what is required, is what is your commanded. And don't even expect to thank you for it. Even at the end of the day, you should sit down and look at yourself and go, man, we're unprofitable. What we have done is our due duty. It's, it's what we should have done. It's, it's a correct response. And at this point, I'm sure all 12 of these guys are going, what? But when you look at their lives later on, did not they live this out? I remember, oh yeah, wasn't it Peter when he was locked up in prison complaining about how much money he didn't get and why this was a bum deal and he should have signed up with that other rabbi? No. There's joy and peace. All of them went willingly and, and said it was their duty and their pleasure to do it. Why? Because God's working and you see it and being part of it. There are rewards, but they're not financial rewards. The rewards being able to see what a loving God is doing. Being a part of what God is doing is amazing. Being a part and seeing him work is awesome, and that, that is a huge reward. And then there are eternal rewards, which is crazy. Even though here it says, hey, at the end of the day, this is your due diligence. When you get to heaven, there's going to be rewards. Which, when you slow down, you think about it, it's insane. I was trying to think of how, how do you even picture this with what Christ had done, the fact he served us greater than anybody, the comparison. How do you draw a comparison? You know, and our hearts can struggle with some of this stuff. You know, you can think, well, you know, I'm serving the Lord. We're doing this and this and this, so I shouldn't get sick, right? I'm not talking about being rich, but just not get sick. I should at least have good health, you know? My utility bill shouldn't go up. I mean, my car shouldn't break down. I mean, come on, Lord, I'm serving you. And we, start to, we can start to have this, but in light of Jesus, and not just in, here, in light of what Jesus did and in light of who we are, Okay, think about that. Imagine a drunk's driving along. Okay, 
He's drunk. He's in a car. He crashes. He goes over a bridge into the river. Okay, car is sinking. He's drowning. Ambulance pulls up on scene. Yeah, we need scene safety and this and that. And this man there decides, I'm going to jump in the water and save this guy. Totally unsafe, not what you do. If you're in a medical training, you've got to make sure it's safe. You're just going to add another victim. But he decides, he jumps in there. He pulls the guy out of the car. The guy's cut. The guy's bleeding. He gets him in the ambulance, gets an IV in him. As they're going, he gets there. They get to the hospital. The guy needs a blood transfusion. The guy sits there, does a blood transfusion, everything. After this happens, you know, the news finds out. They all show up. They're interviewing this guy. Wow, you jumped in and you saved him, and I can't believe you did this and this, and you know, and all these amazing. Then you even gave this guy blood. I mean, he was so undeserving, but yet you still saved his life. And the drunk in the bed goes, hey, wait a minute. Where's my thank you? I let him pull me out of the car, didn't I? I let him put that IV in. I could have argued, hello, what about me? Right? And sometimes we can do that. I, I know, God, you saved us. I know you saved me from my horrible, drunken, sinful state, but I let you. I let your blood save my life. Where's my thank you? He's a loving father. He does bless us. That's not his heart towards us like, hey, you owe me. The Bible says he doesn't need us at all. He saved us and did those things out of his good pleasure. Again, a good example of that, the sinner on the cross. He loved to save that man without even a moment to pay him back. He isn't, God isn't sitting here going, oh, well, you know, I'll save him because he might, you know, serve in Sunday school for at least 10 Sundays when we get some money. Not doing that. He loves you. But we can have our heart. Where is our heart when we serve in ministry? Where is it at? And so you kind of see these three things that we see, if you would, how we're to interact with each other and how we're to love and forgive each other. And then our correct response, that our faith is in him. And, and really, it's, it's truly in him. It's not in us. And his heart of service. The amazing thing is, the master never asks a servant what he can't do. That's unwise. Right? As, as a business owner, I'm not going to have somebody intentionally go give them a job I know they cannot do. I don't send somebody out to roof a house without nail guns, without the tools, without the equipment they need, without water. I'm going to do everything possible with my limited ability to make sure they're successful. If God calls you to do something... He's going to give you everything you need, and he's a lot better than any good boss or any of us. He knows exactly what you need to do what he's calling you to do. And he's not going to break you, and it's going to be to your benefit. And so as we look at this, and we're finishing this up, and, and we look at you know, the things we've walked through for the last couple weeks that he calls out all of us. There's nobody in this room, no matter your past, no matter how wicked, no matter how twisted or anything else, that he isn't willing to save, that he hasn't invited in. And that he's willing, and there's, there's a cost. There's a cost to being a disciple. There are going to be people, as you follow Christ, that aren't going to want to have anything to do with you anymore. They're gonna, they're, they don't like you. They're not going to have anything to do with that world. And then there's a mission. We have a goal. God wants us to seek others who are lost. He loves the lost. That's his heart. He wants us to have his heart. And then 
their possessions, the things of this world, the proper use of them is to put them all, everything, not 10%, everything in God's hand and go, God, what do you want to do with everything you've given me? Every dollar, everything, how, how, do, you, how do you do it? How, how am I to serve you? What, what do you want to do with it? It's yours. It's all yours. And then to slow down, and, that, and that's a hard thing. I mean, that's where the Pharisees bailed out right there. Ah, we're out of here. We like money too much. But then uh, slow down. You're going to get offended. People are, are going to harm you. Even not just the sinners of this world are going to reject you and persecute you. Believers are going to harm. There's going to be harm. There's going to be stumbling blocks. There's going to be offenses. But realize you're still a sinful person too. You know, when you get into marriage, I've heard one pastor always said, I always tell the man, you know, that your wife is never going to need the blood of Christ any more or less than you, and you're never going to need any less than there. No, no one person in here is a greater sinner and needed Jesus less. We all need Jesus just as much. We're going to so slow down. Look at yourself. Be concerned about your own actions. Pray. Really take the time to love on it. Be willing to call each other out in a loving manner. You know, if a child is going to hurt themselves, there should be a concern. If one of us is walking into sin, I don't care who it is in here, you see, hey, Tim, why are you going that way? That looks dangerous. Okay, that's dangerous. We're having a potluck. There is so much sugar in that. You're going to eat it. You're going to die. Tony will just smack it out of my hands. My wife will give him a high five. Uh, and I'll lose my Twinkie. No. You know, it's just... Loving each other, caring about each other, being involved in that way. And then, uh, and then the cost. What's the reward? You know, what's your heart? It's great when you get a pat on your back. It's great when somebody says, hey, you're doing this, but are you doing it for people around you? Isn't this exactly opposite of what he was talking about before and where the Pharisees at or being a hypocrites? They did things, why? Because the reward from other people. They like the thank yous, they like the pat on the back. And God goes, you serve with the heart that you are not to expect those at all. There is a reward. I believe in the, like I said, I was talking to this guy and he thought it was kind of funny. We were laughing about it. Yes, I totally believe in prosperity doctrine. It's just on the other side of death. It's just after this world. Yep. God teaches, yep, if you, you serve him, you're faithful, you have that relationship with him, and not to any greater extent than any other, but you will not get sick and you will not die for all of eternity. It's amazing because you're already dead. You're born again, you know. You won't have to worry about food. There's great prosperity. It's just on the other side of this world. It's not here, which is really hard to tithe towards in that sense for them. But, yeah, so it's just interesting. I, I love talking talking with a pastor from the middle of Africa, serving, and, and his heart. And it's like, what can we pray for you? What would be the thing? Man, just pray God. God continues to provide for the ministry. We're, we're stretched. There's so many in need in the school and these things. God will just continue to provide that I would have strength just to continue to teach the Word of God, and I would teach nothing else. Awesome, right? All over the world. Jesus Christ is still working in believers all over the world. So let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example we have of you coming and serving and loving, forgiving in us so many times, Father. That we, you didn't call us to do anything else but just to follow what you 
and who you are and how you lived. That you give us the strength and the power to live this life. That our faith isn't rooted in, in uh, anything of this world, but it's rooted in the solid rock of you. That we can stand faithful because of what we're standing on and what we're standing for, Father, which is you. We thank you for your word. Amen.